0: the be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your
1: Father, we want our the song of our lives to be about you. And We've come today to worship so that we would know you more and offer ourselves to you even more. So we pray that you will help us as we worship to truly focus our attention on you. And that as we worship, you would stir up within us new faith and love and grace that you alone can give. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. We encourage you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship before you're seated. To see you as we gather for worship today. Just let me highlight a couple of things. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we are going to be meeting back here for a time of prayer. Uh, the pastors will be available to pray with you and for you if you'd like to be anointed with oil for yourself or for someone else. If you would like uh, to spend some time, Yourself praying about situations. We're just going to spend some time praying together uh, and praying for and with one another. We're, we also have two people that are going to be baptized this evening, and that's always exciting. So we want to invite you back here from six to seven for uh, this gathering this evening. And just note that next Sunday morning, with uh, college college uh, semester ending, we uh, change our Sunday morning schedule, and we will no longer have nine forty service for the next few months. So just know worship will be at eight thirty and eleven. Uh, on Sunday morning, so just note that change. Also, uh, we have some opportunities still available for um, Sunday school and children's church for the next few months, and if you're going to be around, it's a great opportunity to uh, minister to our little ones. There are some uh, papers in the back for you, table in the foyer, you can fill out, you can uh, hand them to a pastor or drop them off to the office or an usher, and we'll make sure those get to the right people. There are always uh, things to pray about, always concerns in our lives and the lives of the world, and uh, many of those are listed in the bulletin. We certainly want to pray for our graduates. We've just spent the last 48 hours praying for graduates, and it was a great time. If you haven't been down to the prayer room, I encourage you to go down to the names of all the graduates, high school and college, and uh, our prayers for them. And this morning, we are taking a few moments especially to pray for our high school
2: graduates. At this time, I'd like to ask the high school graduates to come up here, please, and uh, just stand along the front here so people can see you. As Pastor West said, we want to take a moment to celebrate with these graduates this accomplishment in their lives, and as a community of faith, we want to affirm them and affirm our love for them and our ongoing support and prayer, and at the same time, we want to ask God's blessing in their lives and, and his guidance as they as they go forward and uh, move on to the next stage in their lives. And, and so in order to do that, I thought it would be great if we could just pray for them. And I'm going to ask them to kneel here at the altar. If you guys could just turn around and kneel here at the altar. And I'd like family and friends and teachers and others of you who've been involved in their lives in other ways, or maybe you're just a part of our church and you want to, uh, to uh, bless them, come forward and let's lay hands on them. And I've asked a few people to pray. This is a great opportunity for us as a community of faith to just uh, lift these graduates up to the Lord as they as they move forward. And so um, we're going to have uh, Skip Lord is going as our elder representative is going to start us off in prayer, and then Gary King and Dick Carter will also pray. For these graduates, would you guys stand with us just as a show of uh, support and um, as we pray here? So,
3: Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this opportunity uh, to be together this morning, and we thank you for the blessing that each of these young people uh, is to this church, to this community, to their families. Uh, and for the way that you've used them uh, so far in their lives in your kingdom. And we just pray, Lord, that that you will continue to bless them, that you will give them just a great next few weeks as they celebrate uh, this significant accomplishment in their lives, as they celebrate uh, their graduation from high school. And I just pray, Lord, that as they move forward, that you will bless their, uh, their efforts, whether they be moving out into the work world, whether they be heading on to higher education, whether they be going uh, locally or uh, further abroad nationally or around the world. Lord, we just pray that you will uh, fulfill your promise to go with them, to be with them, uh, whatever they might face, to give them strength and power and encouragement, to be their peace. And we just ask, Lord, that in all that they do, that you will be honored. And we we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.
4: Heavenly Father, we're grateful for each of these students. We're grateful for the gifts, the abilities, the talents that you've given to them and that they've developed to this point. We're grateful for the cultural diversity in this group and how they've enriched our lives as we've gotten to know them and relate to them. And Lord, we're grateful for the confidence that that we can have that uh, you are going to work in their lives As Paul says, we can be confident that he who has begun a good work in them is going to bring it to completion. And, Lord, we ask for that for these young people. Lord, I ask that through your Holy Spirit, you will draw uh, many of these young people, each of these young people to Christ, to develop a relationship with him. And through your Holy Spirit, they will grow, and that relationship will deepen. I ask that you will give them a love for you, a love for you that will un- allow them to be involved in in this world, in communities, and to be caring, thoughtful people. And, Lord, I, I would pray for each of them a love of your word. Uh, they need an anchor, and that your word is is that anchor for us. And, Lord, we pray that they might let their roots grow down deep into your word and that they might grow to know you through your word. And, Lord, uh, even as you prayed for your disciples, we ask that you'll keep them from the world and the temptations that are they're going to face. I ask that you'll bring them through that. Keep them from evil and keep them from the evil one. And then, Lord, I thank you most of all, and I pray for each of them that they will have the hope that comes from a knowledge of you. The one who controls, the one who is in control of their future, their destiny. As they prepare for the vocation that they have chosen, Lord, I pray that they might as well be prepared in terms of knowledge and skill to share you and to share your love with the world around them that they touch. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Father, we thank you for the privilege that we've had as uh, faculty and as uh, parents to spend time with these children, to raise them. Lord, we thank you for these these young men and women, and we ask your blessing upon them. Lord, we would, we would pray that for those who know you, that they would grow in you and uh, make an effort next year to really uh, spend time with you and to seek out others that they can worship with and uh, spend time in your word. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon them, and we pray for those, Lord, who may not know you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in them in their lives and draw them to yourself, that they might come to know you. Lord, we desire the very best for these for these people, and we just ask your blessing on them now. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Amen. Thank you. Seniors, we love you, and we hope you know that this community of faith will be in prayer for you as you go out. Thank you. You can go back to your seats. Uh, At this time, we're going to have the ushers come forward and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
1: We have an opportunity to pray together, and as we do so, if you'd like to pray at the altar, I invite you to join me. Father, as we come to this time of prayer, we, we want you to be everything of our lives. We want you to, to be the focus of our thoughts, our attitudes, our attention, our actions. And we pray that you will help us, help us to know you in such a way that you are central. Father, we come to this moment of prayer and ask this for our lives because we know how difficult life is and the demands and the struggles that we face. And there are times where it just feels overwhelming. Decisions to be made and roads to take, sacrifices to make. And we too often falter under the load. Help us to see you today in all of your glory and greatness and fill us. Lord, we pray for the things that burden us today. We lay them at your feet and in this moment of silence, we give every burden and struggle and yearning to you. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for hearing our prayers about our burdens in our life, for the burdens we feel for others, for the burdens for this world. Thank you for hearing and for being in control and for answering in the way that you know is best. Pour out your Spirit on us that our lives might reflect You and we pray this through Christ. Amen.
5: We turn to God's word in Second Peter, Chapter Three. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1205. Hear the word of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, "'Scoffing and following their own evil desires. "'They will say, "'Where is this coming?' he promised. "'Ever since our fathers died, "'everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. "'But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, "'the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. "'By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed.' but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do with other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen.
0: Strength when I am weak, you are the treasure that I seek, you are my all in all, seeking you as a precious tool, Lord to give up by be a fool, you are my all.
1: Have you ever had a, an inkling to to say I think Jesus is going to return this year? You might say, I hope Jesus returns this year, or I hope not. Uh, there there have always been people through the centuries who have who've been willing to say, I've had a word from God, and it's going to be this date, or this month, or this year. And we don't pay a lot of attention to that, but there are people who do. There are people who, you know, back in May when... The declaration was made that that's when Jesus was going to come. There were people who sold their homes, sold everything they had, and sat and waited. There is something within us that wants to know when. Wants to know more about the coming of Christ. And that's not a bad thing at all. It's good for us to want to know about the coming of Christ. And Peter, as he begins this third chapter of his letter, says to the readers, Look, I'm going to, I want to remind you that it's good to know what the prophets wrote and what Jesus said that we communicated to you about the last days. It's good to know that. In fact, it's, it's helpful to your thinking. He also says, Just remember, I'm not telling you something new. This is stuff you've already known. J.B. Phillips in his translation says, I'm telling you what you already know. And as Peter has done a number of times in this letter, he says, Remember. Take time to foster and create and grow your Christian memory, your biblical memory, your understanding of who God is and what God has promised and what God is doing. Because it's so foundational. And there's so many things in life that are grabbing out for our memories. And they can get in the way. They become more important. And Peter keeps coming back to create the Christian memory. Create a memory of who God is and what God has said and what God has promised. And I want to help you with that. And the reason that is so important is because there are all these other voices that are coming at us people who are telling us that the things we believe about Christ are not true even people in the church want sometimes want to move us away from what's central to what's peripheral and we people get into arguments about things that honestly are not unimportant but not most important and we spin our wheels discussing and arguing and dealing with those things and all the while the things that are central get pushed aside this seems to be what's happening to the people to whom Peter writes this second letter he has mentioned that there are false teachers that there are deceivers in the congregation who are who are tempting the people to draw their attention away from what's true and when it comes to this talk about the last days and return of Christ he says there are going to be people there probably are already who are going to say to you where is Christ We've been waiting a long time. I haven't seen him. Doesn't look to me like the world is any different than it used to be. The Romans are still in control. The wealthy and the powerful, they still control everything. The people who have clout just continue to gain clout. And they continue to take advantage of the vulnerable and the weak. What's different? Where is Jesus? Why isn't he coming back? And you can almost feel the faith in the in the the Christian core of that church just beginning to erode around the edges a little bit because you start hearing that stuff enough and you look around and think well it's true the Romans still are in control it doesn't look like the world is all that different maybe they're right and these people have taken the delay of Christ Christ's delay in returning and and used it as a means of, of eroding the faith of God's people. And Peter says, "Well, actually, I would say what they're trying to do is to, to undermine the people's confidence in God's faithfulness." You now, God has made a promise. Christ said, "I will be back." The angels told the disciples, "He's re, he's going to return." And, and he hasn't. And they say, so what's going on? God doesn't keep his promises? And so Peter says, well, let me just remind you. Let's go back to Genesis. Peter loves uh, the Old Testament. He especially seems to love the story of the flood. Because in this short book, it's the second time he's mentioned it. He says, let's go back to the flood. And the people in those days didn't think God was going to do anything either. And look what happened. We don't know a lot about... The, the, uh, the back story of the flood and of Noah. We don't know how long it took Noah to build the ark. We don't know about any interactions he may have had with other people around him while he was building the ark. I suspect it took him a number of years to build something that large. It, probably some of you are, are too young to remember this. But when I was a, a child, we used to listen to Bill Cosby and his, uh, his, his stand-up comedian r- routines. And one of those was about Noah and the ark. And he talks about how you know Noah's out building his ark one morning, and the neighbor comes out and says, "What is that?" He says, "It's an ark." He said, "Well, get it out of my driveway. I got to go to work." And you know, you have this. We don't know what's going on, but I suspect, I suspect that that there are many moments when people are asking Noah about what he's doing, and he says, "Judgment is coming. Turn to God." Turn to God because judgment's coming and it's going to be horrible. And and you, you don't want to be a part of that. And you can you can join us. And I suspect that Noah took a lot of mocking and ridiculing, that people made fun of him. And it must have been hard for Noah to keep waiting and waiting and waiting until God's word was fulfilled. And it's hard for us to wait too. We like to, you know, we want God to do things in our time. But the scriptures call us again and again that we are to live in God's time. And that's hard for us because God's time is not our time. He, beginning in verse 8, he talks about how our, our time is different. And that the, the timing of God doesn't always match up with the timing that we want from God. Every time I read that verse, I think back to, to the, uh, you know, the apocryphal story of the guy who's praying to God. And he says, Lord, is it true that, that a penny to you is like a million dollars and, 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 a, and a second to you is like a thousand years? And God says, yeah, that's true. He says, well, could I have a penny? And God says, sure, just a second. Our time isn't the same. And we keep wanting God to shape his time to us instead of our time to him. And I know Peter's talking here about the coming of Christ and, and the last days and, and Christ, when Christ is going to come back. But the delay that we feel from God is not just about that day to come. It's about stuff every day in our lives. We're praying for God to open a door and it seems locked tight we're praying for god to give us direction about a decision and it feels as though we're getting nothing we're praying for god about a struggle we're going through and we're asking for relief and the pressure seems to increase we keep asking god to to work and to and to show himself and to do something and it seems as though far too often what we get is silence And in those moments, our faith is tested. And people around us are saying, well, you know, God doesn't keep his word. I guess God doesn't care. You're not important to God. And the evil one attempts to erode the edges of our faith. And in those moments, we need to remember that God's time is not our time. I have discovered both for myself and as I read and talk to many people, that we grow the most spiritually in difficult times as opposed to times of ease. I don't like that. I don't want that to be the case. But it's true. In the challenges of life, when, when life presents us with difficulties, those are the moments when we have the, the opportunity to grow the most because we're faced with the, with the challenge of trusting God in new ways and in deeper ways. And that trust of God draws us closer to God. And sometimes God waits and God delays because he has bigger things in store for us than what we can see in front of us. God loves to, to delay. It's part of his M.O. through the years. And, and, it, and as Peter says here, it's, it's not weakness on his part. It's actually the sign of, of the great patient love that is his heart. He delays Christ's coming because he wants more people to hear the good news and, and to know the joy and the blessing of being in Christ. Christ. And the Old Testament tells us that one of the reasons the Israelites spend 400 years in slavery is so that the people of Canaan have all that time to turn their hearts to God and to know His joy and and to know His salvation and His redemption. And God keeps holding out and holding out and holding out in the hope that, that they will turn to Him even though it means His chosen people suffer. And sometimes... We suffer. Sometimes we struggle for the good of other people so that other people can know Christ in a way that they wouldn't if we, if God didn't withhold what we wanted from him. But God's timing is perfect and his heart is compassionate. And I suspect that is one of the reasons why God doesn't tell us when Christ is going to come. If, we, if he had said to us, on October 27th, 2012, Christ is coming, I suspect that a whole lot of people would wait until October 26th, 2012 to do anything about it. And it wouldn't just be a matter of perhaps waiting too long, but we're missing out on so much of life with Christ. See, the the experience of life with Christ isn't just about getting to heaven. And so we just sort of sneak our way in at the last minute. This isn't about fire insurance to stay out of hell and get into heaven. This is about living in the fullness of God's blessing and grace now. And yes, it is eternal life. and, And it is the heavenly realms with God. But it's Christ in us now too. It's Christ filling our lives now with his joy and his grace and his blessing, even when we're going through the difficult, tough stuff. It's watching Christ make us into the people that he created us to be, that we yearn deep in our souls to be, that we're looking for stuff all over this world to try to fill that void. All the while, he's saying, Open your heart to me. Christ is the only one that can fill that void, and he wants to do it now. And as we live through our days, to trust Him now, not just at the last minute, but to live in the fullness of His grace every day, every moment of every day. The other part of not telling us the date and the time is you have to prepare for any time. Because we don't know, we got to be ready at a moment's notice. And Peter spends about five verses, beginning in verse 11 through verse 15, talking to us about what it means to prepare, how we prepare, what that looks like. He says you need to live godly and holy lives. That's kind of intimidating if you ask me. To live a life that's godly and holy. When we think about holy, we think of perfection. Perfection. And yet God has said through the through the scriptures, be holy as I'm holy. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What exactly does he mean by that? Well, I think that he's, he's trying to help us understand what life can be with him. Too often we just settle for mediocrity. We, we're willing to say, well, I'll, I'll live sort of halfway with Christ and do my own thing. I don't want to forget Christ altogether, but I'm not really that into everything about Christ. We miss out on all the blessings of Christ when we shut ourselves off from him. All the while he's saying, "I I want to fill your life with joy and blessing and grace in the midst of the difficulties of life and make you holy. Make you who I created you to be. John Wesley talked about holiness as perfect love. It's the way the King James Version translated passages of Scripture. and Someone said to me years ago, maybe the better way of saying that is wholehearted love. That the design, the desire of our hearts is to love God with all our hearts and to love others as we love ourselves. And to be wholeheartedly in to that kind of life. But he also talks about living in the kind of righteousness that we will experience in the new heaven and the new earth. And that day when Christ returns and He sets up His eternal kingdom in the new heaven and new earth and whatever that will be, it will be it will be described as a place of righteousness. He says it's righteousness dwells there, it's the home of righteousness. It's all the fullness of who God is and his character and his nature as love and grace and truth and holiness. And Peter is saying, that's what we're going to do then. That's what we're going to experience then. Why not start thinking about that now? Let's start living now in that spirit of righteousness. And that's and we're not going to experience all the fullness of it like we will then, but we can begin to know something of that. And I think that, that's why we care about things like, Telling people about Christ, evangelism. That's why we care about justice. That's why we care about beauty and truth and love. That's why we care about things here now that are about the kingdom of God because we're preparing ourselves for what we're going to be living then. And he says, be spotless and blameless and at peace. And the word at peace has the idea of reconciliation. And it's reconciliation with God, but it's also reconciliation with other people. And interwoven in all of this description of what it means to be prepared is not just about being right with God, but it's about being right with people. Because you cannot be right with God without being right with people. And you'll never, we are never right with people if we aren't right with God. And that's why Jesus says the greatest commandment is love God, love other people. He keeps coming back to that idea of love. In the, on that Friday night or that Thursday night before Jesus goes to the cross on Friday, he says to his disciples, This is how people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. John Wesley loved to talk about holiness. He There's no holiness except social holiness. And by that, he meant holy living, being holy, isn't just about how we relate to God, it's always about how we relate to other people too. And if we say we are right with God and we're not right with other people, then we're not really right with God. Because our relationship with God is always going to come out in how we relate to other people. John says in his epistle, if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you don't really love God. It's about, this, it's about being not only reconciled to God but reconciled to other people and preparing for the day when Christ comes meaning we care about our relationships. Relationships are important to us and we will do what we need to do to try to make relationships positive and good and to love one another even if we aren't loved back because that's important to us. And He talks about being patient. Be as patient as God is with us. About being willing to sacrifice if it means that other people might know of Christ. It means being willing to, to, to take on pain even so that other people don't have to go through pain. Having that willingness to let God's time be God's time, even if it means that we don't get what we want, at least in the way we want it. And we live with this eager anticipation about the coming of Christ. That we are so enamored with Christ, and we're so focused on Christ that we we're always thinking about his return and and his return is always impinging on how we live out our days that we want to to begin living now for Christ the way we will live for him then we want to see we want to see peace and we want to see justice and we want to see love and truth and grace and mercy and compassion and righteousness we want to be a part, of. we want to be people who are helping to bring that to this world in anticipation of the world in which we're going to live eternally. And we live with that sense of anticipation about Christ coming and Christ changing things. It is so vital for us to be thinking about how we prepare because there are always people, even in the church, who want to they want to move us away from the right kind of preparation. They want to focus on the peripheral things. They want to, they want to twist the words of Scripture. I don't know exactly why in the, in the latter part of this chapter, Peter kind of goes off on the tangent about Paul, and, and Paul writes difficult things that are hard to understand. But he says people are always twisting Paul's words, and they twist all of Scripture. And they do that because they, they want to move us away from what's central, focusing on Christ and being prepared for his return to getting our attention wrapped up in stuff that's really insignificant and secondary and peripheral. I want us to think that, they twist scripture to make us think that we don't have to give up anything in this world to be a follower of Christ. To make us think that we don't need to surrender our lives to Christ to be prepared. We can live however we want to. To make us think that that how we treat other people really is insignificant. And all the while it is eating away at the fabric of our faith. And Peter says the way to overcome that is to commit ourselves to grow in the knowledge and the grace of Christ. To keep yearning for Christ. To keep seeking Christ. To keep turning to Christ in every way we possibly can. And ultimately, we come to the place where, where the design and the direction and the yearning of our hearts is to do nothing more than to bring glory to Christ. That we want our lives to bring glory to God. When we get to heaven, that's what it'll be. Everything in heaven will be about focusing on Christ, giving glory to Christ, laying down everything we have before Christ. All of our attention will be on Christ. So if that's what it's going to be then, why would we think we would want to do anything different as we live now? What better way to prepare than to do everything in our power, make every effort to live life now, to give glory to Christ like we will then on that day. When I was in junior high, there was a movie that came out that we watched at our church. It was called A Thief in the Night. of you seen that movie? Eh, a few of you, okay. It's, it's, one, it's one take on what the return of Christ might look like. And, and in this, this movie, there are, there are people at various stages of, of interest in Christ. And the day comes, in, in their opinion, where Christ takes the Christians out of the world and everybody else is left. And most of the story is sort of what happens after those people are left. And, and I'm going to tell you, when I watched that movie in junior high, it scared the bejeebies out of me. I mean, it scared me to death. It's like a horror flick, to be honest with you. It just doesn't have the gore and the blood and stuff. But it's frightening. And I think that was the intent of the movie. I think the intent was to scare people out of hell and into heaven. And it probably worked for a lot of people. And, you know, I, I remember not too long after watching that movie, I came home from baseball practice one early evening. It was just beginning to get dusk. And I walked in the house expecting everyone to be there, and no one was home freak out city i'm telling you right now wow i can i mean even if i'm telling you a story i can feel this sort of panic rising up within me about it and and everything was about fear and there's a place for that and peter talks about it but when i read the new testament when i read the book of acts when i read people talking about the the coming of christ what I find is not so much fear as hope and celebration and joy at what Christ has prepared for us. What we find is that that Christ's return for for those who are in him is gonna be the the greatest moment of our lives. And I think what causes us to fear is that we aren't really sure we're focused On preparing. So as you think about. What may happen when Christ returns. I, I want all of us. To live with a sense of hope. And celebration and joy. Because we're in Christ. And because we're focused on Christ. And because we know. Christ has so much for us. Then and now. That's beyond our imagination. so what's your focus what's the direction of your life what's the passion of your heart we're going to pray together a prayer of of confession about our sins and a prayer of asking for God's grace and mercy in our lives and I'm going to ask us, do we have that? Okay, I'm going to ask us to pray this together in unison. And we're going to pray this just a little bit slower than we might sometimes to give us the opportunity to focus on what we're praying and that it would come from the depths of our hearts. Let's pray together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent. And turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask for your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, love kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit.
4: Amen.
5: Please stand and worship with us.